Ah, uh, um, so how much is that? Welcome to the Podcast Editor's Mastermind. You can find us at podcasteditorsmastermind.com. And whether you're joining us live in the chat for Facebook or if you're listening later, we're glad to have you here. Today, we're going to be talking about client relations. And in the past, we've talked about things like defining our roles, finding ways to be more valuable, and so on. Today, we're going to talk about attracting the right clients for us, working with clients, what happens when they become toxic, and maybe just the ones that aren't such a great fit. Before we get to that, we're going to do some quick introductions because we do have a guest. So I'm Brian Itzminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. We'll go with Jennifer next and then go around and I'll do Brittany at the end. All right. I'm Jennifer Longworth, Bourbon Barrel Podcasting, bourbonbarrelpodcasting.com. We're on social media at KY Podcasting because I'm in Kentucky. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Daniel Abendroth of Roth Media, and you can find me at rothmedia.audio. And our guest today is the legend Brittany Felix. She's a podcaster and a podcast editor. She works specifically with coaches and consultants to help them take their podcasts and use them as a way to build brand awareness, to establish themselves as experts in their niche, to gain business opportunities, network, generate leads for their business, all kinds of stuff. She's a just buster, a travel lover, and her husband, Brian, spells his name the right way. So <laughs> welcome, Brittany. It's great to have you here. I am super, super excited to be here. <laughs> cool. Oh, and I forgot to mention, you can find her at podcastingforcoaches.com. So go ahead and check that out because that is the place to find her. Today, we're talking about clients, customers, things like that. And Brittany's our guest. So I'd like to start by maybe just asking you the question, if you can share with us what happens when we attract the wrong clients and find that we're working with them? Your entire life will go downhill. <laughs> True story. And that is not an exaggeration. <laughs> if you are working with a client that is a bad fit, especially if they're toxic, it will, it'll seep into literally every aspect of your life. Like It goes so far beyond the actual job. Okay. And has that ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Uh, a lot in the beginning, especially. That's how I now know to not work with toxic clients anymore. I had to learn everything the very, very difficult way. My first few clients were extremely toxic, and they taught me what not to do and how to spot red flags. And so I have carried those lessons on in the years since. Good deal. And I, I definitely want to talk about some of those red flags when we get to that. Yeah. But I'm wondering... If you could maybe share with us the story, not naming any names, but the story of one of those clients that uh, wasn't such a good fit. Sure. So my very first one who was toxic, who was actually my second client ever. My very first client who got me into podcast editing was great. She's a total sweetheart. The next one, however, though, was a very rude awakening into how to not do things. At the time, this was a little over four years ago, and I was... Um, was still working a corporate job. We were renovating our house to sell it. I was trying to build this business on the side. So I was stressed to the max anyways. And I was working with a client who, to be perfectly honest, was way out of my like league in terms of the work that they needed and my skill level. Their show was really complex with a lot of sound effects and different segments and a bunch of music and multiple guests. So it was really more than what I should have taken on. But in the beginning, you're so desperate. You'll take anyone who comes along. Right. And... We actually, and I promise this is relevant, but we put our house for sale. And then to stay out of the house for the weekend, we decided to go camping. Well, I totally my fault. I screwed up and I accidentally uploaded one of my 
other clients' episodes into this one's feed. So the completely wrong show got published. And their show at the time was really massive. We're talking like well over 100,000 downloads per episode. And I put out somebody else's show. So it was totally my fault. But she like lost it, like flipped her lid. I think I got like 13 phone calls, a ton of text messages. So I had to like leave while I was camping and like rush back home. It was like a 40 minute drive and like change out this episode. And she like never let me live it down ever. And just constantly like micromanaging me from that point and just really just being a total jerk about it. Uh, which it was a huge mistake. I get that. But also like let it go at some point. So because <laughs> um, I mean, I had done everything else. like this was the first mistake. We'd been working together for months. I didn't make any more after this, but she just would not let mm. it go. And so I actually still see her at podcasting conferences. She's very well known and she tends to host a few things. And literally every time I see her, I am a 34 year old woman who wants to like duck under a table and hide <laughs> because I she mm. gives me so much anxiety just to like see her face, hear her name, because it was just that toxic of a relationship. Wow, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not going to lie. I might have done done that same thing before. Yelled at somebody like that or. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That Brittany. She, she runs away from me. Yeah. Yeah. Gets... Totally. <laughs> yeah. No, I yell at it all the time. It was actually kind of like my horror story. So it was back before I was charging enough. And so like she claimed that she was in like a. um like big business, like communications expert, blah, blah, blah. So we agreed to exchange like consultation with her for my business in exchange for podcast editing. Um, and then she got deep into conspiracy theorist kind of realm. What? And whenever I did that, she was like, our podcast got hacked. Somebody else's shows on it. I don't know what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, sorry, I, it was an honest mistake. And she was problematic for a whole other slew of reasons. Um, but it was one of those that uh, I was working for free in exchange for kind of like business consultation that she wasn't providing. So that ended far later than it should have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and with this one, again, it was totally my mistake. But mm-hmm. also she knew I was going out of town for the weekend. I wasn't available. She was supposed to get me her files like a week in advance. And she got it to me an hour before we were supposed to leave and head out of town. Wow. Oh. And like it was one of those things where like this isn't an option. Like you're staying and getting this put out before you leave. And so like I was super rushed in getting it out. And that's again still a mistake. But you know, if I had more time, maybe I wouldn't have mm-hmm. been so rushed. <laughs> Man. But yeah, that's kind of part of it. I mean, those those clients who just make those absolutely unreasonable demands. So how do you find these people before they strike? <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely have an actual conversation with them beforehand. So I will not work with anybody unless we have an actual phone call, like, well, okay, video call. (laughs) And then now I just have learned to spot these red flags. Like if you have somebody who, which I mean, I don't know if you want to go into that yet, but there are certain things that I look out for and personality traits and certain phrases that I pay attention if they say that or not. And if they do, then, you know, at the end of it, I I basically tell them that we're not a good fit, but in a much nicer way. So, so can like, are there any of those phrases that you look for that are generic enough that we could spill the beans and help the rest of us not mess up? Yeah. If you want to go into that, I'm totally cool with that. So the red flags that I look for, one are a huge one is trying to negotiate on your rate Mm. or get extra services for free. So if they even remotely like question my rate, other than I have had some people who have been like, you know, no offense, but you charge considerably higher than everyone else. Why is that? And then my response is always because I'm worth it. 
and like gauge their reaction to that. And most of the time they usually just kind of like chuckle and laugh and like, okay, fair enough. That's a good enough answer. And then I know, but if they get like defensive about it, then we're done. That's one red flag. But if they're like, well, I really don't need this service, but I really want somebody who will create audiograms for me. Do you think that you could throw that in and kind of sweeten the deal a little bit? We're done right there. Red flag. Because they're going to continue to do that throughout our entire relationship. Mm -hmm. So like whatever episode, like minute limit we have, they're going to try and add on to that. Like, well, this one's only two minutes extra this week. Is that, you know, can we just like work that in? And they're just going to continue to push that boundary and you're going to have that scope creep. Another thing that I look out for is somebody who tries to dictate all the programs that I use. Oh. So like I have to use Dropbox, Airtable. Like I have these systems in place that allow me to be really, really efficient Mm -hmm. because they have one podcast, but I am working on a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. And so when they come in and they're like, no, I definitely, you know, we have to use Google Drive or we have to use Basecamp or Trello. That's a non-negotiable. Then we're done. So basically any kind of demands that they make, they can ask me anything they want. But if they demand anything, we're done. Yeah. So you mentioned the term scope creep real quickly. Yes. And I know what you mean, but some of our listeners might be like, that sounds like a great name for our band, right? So, right. <laughs> or mouthwash. <laughs> or mouthwash. I don't know that I want things creeping around in my mouth, but. <laughs> That's why you get scope. <laughs> That's why. Uh, scope is not a sponsor of this podcast. Right. So uh, <laughs> define it. I'm seeing Carrie wants me to define scope creep. So that's basically like what I said there, where they want you to add on these little extra services that in the moment, honestly, you probably agree to because maybe they only take like an extra five minutes and it's no big deal. But a year down the road when they have added and added and added. um, So I actually have a client that I'm currently working with right now. And we did this. She was one of my very first clients. I helped her launch. When she launched her show, it was supposed to be solo episodes under 20 minutes. A year later, with no show notes, by the way. A year later, I was writing her show notes. She was doing interviews up to an hour, and she was still paying me the same rate. Oh, no, 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 no. And then when we had a conversation about that, she got a little bit defensive, which was entirely my fault. I didn't set up those expectations for price increases later on. And that was one lesson that I learned. But luckily, it came around. We still work together. She's a great client. But I had to break it down for her. Like, here's why these prices are increasing, you know, and like, here's what's different from when we originally started, when I originally quoted you this. And she did that gradually. So it was, hey, I think I'm going to start doing interviews now. Okay, I'll keep them under 30 minutes. Sure. Then they got to 45 minutes. Then they got to 60. And then it was, you know, well, can you start writing my show notes for me? I'll give you the description, just like actually publish it. And then, well, can you actually write it for me? And so it's these little changes and tweaks Mm. as you go that in the moment, just to make the customer happy or the client happy, you think, yeah, sure, I'll do that. It's no big deal. But it ends up, you know, a year later, tacking on an hour or two to your work every week. So mm-hmm. I had a client that where like he understood the value, but it was like, hey, let's do this little thing. And I'll give you five extra dollars per episode. So like there was that little payment, but then it, it didn't correspond with like the overall workload. So I was doing right. an extra hour a week for another ten dollars. It's like, uh, right. Mm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so honestly, too, I mean, I have that kind of built in right now. I have a proposal I send out and it breaks down exactly what services they're getting. So if they want to add anything, they have to sign a new agreement. But yeah. I don't want to do those other things. So like I don't want to do audiograms. I don't want to do social media scheduling. So one, I just tell them I don't. But even for like the select few, I have one client right now who I actually will do it for her. But that's literally because I told her I would charge an extra 50 bucks to create like one Instagram story. (laughs) And she said, yeah. So I just like threw out this ridiculously outrageous number. And she said, yes. So like most of the time, if I throw out a ridiculously outrageous number, 
they realize that like a VA is going to be cheaper and so they don't go with mm-hmm. it. But yeah. I love that strategy because there are two options. It's either A, it's a ridiculous price. They're not going to pay it. So you don't have to do the thing you don't want to do. Right. And if they do agree to it, well, at least you're making a pretty penny doing something you don't want to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just tacked on 50 bucks per episode for something that takes me 10 minutes worth of work. Mm -hmm. Like so because she created the templates. I don't create them. It's literally just like I go swap out an image in the title and she does not care. She doesn't even review like which clip I pick. So it's super easy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Sure. Right. Um, And then I see Carrie added like what takeaway did I learn from this? The big takeaway. So I think that's from that nightmare client, the toxic Mm -hmm. one. Mm hmm. And that, the same takeaway I've had on everything, which is to trust my gut. Because, like, I knew that whole time, like, literally, I dreaded working on her stuff. It was the absolute last thing in the world I wanted to do. And I should have trusted that from the very, very beginning. And so I thought I learned that lesson, but I had to learn it a few more times with a couple of other (laughs) toxic clients. But that's where it started. So, yeah, good stuff. For those in the chat, we've been talking about some of the red flags. And I'm wondering if you'd like to share in the comments if there are any red flags that you look for in potential clients while we go on. Now, Brittany, you're, I think, one of the people that I look at and I go, my goodness, she is so good at attracting the right clients. I see you talking about it. I see other people talking about you in that vein. So I I believe that. I'm just wondering from that initial experience where you had a number of clients that weren't a great fit, a few that you had to kind of let go. How did you, like, what are the things that you've started to do besides just that single phone call or Skype call or whatever? Like, what what do you do to actually attract those clients so you're getting the right people on the front end? Yeah, so that all comes just from the messaging that I put out there, my branding, um, even down to like the colors, the language that I use, specifically who I say I'm working with. So I actually specify and I say that I am working with women. And that's, by the way, W-O-M-X-N. So like I am open to non-binary people, but that's all part of the branding as well, because that lets people know that my brand is inclusive. Pink is not my favorite color. I don't really care for the color pink, but all of my branding is pink because I want to attract somebody who has more of like a feminine energy and a personality because I don't want to attract someone that has like a super aggressive personality. And then even the type of people that I'm working with. So online coaches and consultants. I'm not necessarily targeting these super results-oriented, data-driven people. I want to work with people who kind of go about their business more with a sense of like purpose and passion. So it's kind of more of those like touchy-feely words. So I use that actually in my like social media posts, on my website, and that draws in the right people to me. I am writing that down. (laughs) (laughs) Write that down. That's... That makes sense, you know. <laughs> That's the takeaway, yeah. Because it's your branding. It's like what you're putting out there is like what you track to you. Yeah, because I mean, I'm not going to follow somebody who I can't stand the language that they use or the images they're putting out. And people will follow me on Instagram. And I like, sure, they're saying all the right things, but their images, even like down to the colors, they're like black and red. And it's pictures of like sports cars. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> That's just not a match for me. By putting out what I put out, I attract the people who are going to like actually like that stuff. So I think you've talked about that part of it, right? The branding that you're putting out. But if I remember right from the talk that you did at PodFest, don't you also do a little bit of research before reaching out to somebody that you think might be interesting to work with? Well, I don't actually reach out to anybody. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So like, I don't go after clients in terms of like one-on-one. If they if they like schedule a consult with me and I don't already know who they are, oh yeah, I'll go in and I'll check out their podcast, I'll check out their website, their social media. 
because one, I want to make sure that they're a decent person. Like if I get on their Facebook profile and find out that they have put like a ton of political posts that are the exact opposite of how I feel, I don't really want to work with that person because we're just not going to mesh very well together. So yeah, I will go do research on that like before I hop on that initial consult with them. And then that also helps too, because if I find something that I can connect with, like if we've traveled to the same location or we both have a rescue dog or they're living in a state where I've been to multiple times, like I can bring that up during the consult and it just makes it so much more personal. They then remember me out of the 10 different editors that they're talking to because I was the one that, you know, freaked out about the rescue dog. So, yeah, trying to find that commonality and to stand out above mm-hmm. above the rest. Right. That's right. good customer service stuff. I love that. Yeah, there's there so many like this is an episode I'm going to have to listen back to to get all these. <laughs> You've mentioned you get to a point where you can't work with another client. Your rates are too high, whatever. You refer them out mm-hmm. to other people. But if there's ones that like these red flag clients, like these horror clients or the ones that show red flags whenever you're talking to them, what kind of support do you offer to find editors for them or do you? So it depends because just because they're not a good fit for me doesn't mean they're not a good fit for somebody else because I have pretty strict deadlines and I need everything at least a full week in advance. And I know that there are some people who want like a 48 hour turnaround time. And I know that there are other editors who do that. So if it's that flag for me, it's not necessarily for somebody else. So I will like refer them on to some people. But if it's like outright, I can already tell they are going to be a nightmare to work with. Then I do not offer them anything else. I just in my reply, just let them know that I don't think it's going to be a good fit. And here's a place where they could maybe find some resources for editors and good luck. Do you send them like what's that? Is it Fiverr? Like what do you? (laughs) (laughs) No, usually, honestly, because most of the people I work with are women. I send them into She Podcasts. And say you can put out a post there that you're looking for an editor and explain the details. And then she warns the rest of us, hey, hey. Don't. <laughs> there, are, there are a few people, yeah, that sometimes I will be like, don't don't go comment on this wow. post. Like, you don't want to work with this person. <laughs> and there's also, if you contact Steve Stewart of Podcast Editors Club, right. he does that job listing thing, put out to all the editors. So you mentioned having, so you require seven days for an episode. What other requirements do you have or deadlines? How does that work with kind of your relationship with your clients. That's established right from the start. So from that initial consult before we ever start working together, they know that that's the deadline. And if they don't meet it, it's in our agreement that their episode is automatically pushed back a week to the next publication date that allows for a full week to complete the work. So like that's just the standard. That is what it is. And they usually only miss (laughs) once or twice (laughs) before they're like, okay, no, I'm going to get this to you on time. Or they don't put out an episode. And eventually if they start doing that enough to where they are inconsistent, Then we have a conversation of, I don't think I'm the right editor for you because I charge on a per episode basis. So if they don't release an episode, I'm not getting paid, which I don't recommend doing that. If I could do it all over again, I wouldn't set it up that way, but I'm in too deep now. And so it is what it is. You know, so I don't want to work with somebody who's going to be flaky and not consistently publish episodes. I'm going to give that spot to somebody who's going to be consistent. So I don't keep those people around either. And in terms of communication, I have a strict boundary where I do not give out my phone number. I've had a lot of clients who like want to have my actual phone number. Again, I learned that lesson the hard way. (laughs) I did do it. She's still actually a client today. The one I mentioned earlier with the scope creep Mm. because she was one of the first few that I ever worked with. And she has my phone number and she does occasionally message me. But she we've had to talk about that as well. And she's calmed down. And yeah, so I also unless we're already friends on Facebook first before they become a client. 
I will not become friends with clients on Facebook because I do post personal things there. And if I want to play hooky for a day <laughs> and go head <laughs> off for a drive into the mountains, I don't want my clients to be like, why aren't you working on my episode? So that's that's actually a boundary that I've had since I was in the corporate world of not like being Facebook friends with anybody I work with. Do you offer any, is it just like one week, it gets pushed back no matter what, or do you offer like a rush delivery charge? Nope. My clients do not get to dictate my schedule in any shape, way, or form. So if I charge a rush fee, that's basically giving them permission mm-hmm. because honestly, for some of my clients, a rush fee is going to be nothing to them. Mm-hmm. Like they'll just pay it and there's no punishment sort of basically. Like there's no penalty there for them. There's no pain that's involved in that. And so they just, they won't care. So no, it's, they miss their episode and and that's it. I do have some clients now who I will sometimes make exceptions for. Like I have one client who she records her her podcast interviews like way in advance, like sometimes even like three months in advance, I have the interviews. But she likes to wait to record the intro until like the week of mm-hmm. um, just to make sure everything's still relevant. Nothing's changed in the business. And that's like a little five minute clip. So like I let her get away with that because that's something we've established ahead of time. It's no big deal. And I mean, I still get it like six days before the actual episode has to go live. So like that's not really a huge deal. So it's not that I'm like, inflexible or that I'm like a huge pain to work with, but I just don't let my clients dictate anything. I will work with them if they need it, but they're not allowed to like demand anything. I need your gumption. (laughs) (laughs) I've always been this way. (laughs) I think that's a big part of it is having that confidence to say like, this is how it's going to be and not be wishy-washy in your communication or how you talk to them. Like just let them know like, this is how it is, period. Even if you don't feel that way, like project that. Because if you do that wishy-washy thing or like hesitant about it, you know, they're more likely to try to push that whenever they need to. Absolutely. Yeah. If you give a client any kind of like semi-flexible boundary, they are going to push that to the absolute limit until you reach your breaking point. And certain clients are going to be worse about that than others. So, I mean, that's again, that's kind of what you look for with those red flags in the beginning is are they already trying to push those boundaries by getting you to use different systems, change your pricing, those sorts of things. And again, that's not to say like I'm totally heartless. Like if somebody has an emergency (laughs) come up and they have to like miss this one particular week or they have to like, you know, they miss a deadline by a day. That's fine as long as it doesn't become a pattern. If it becomes a pattern and they they do it, you know, more than like once every six months or something, then I have that service agreement that I can fall back to and be like, hey, you signed this. Like this is this is what we have in place for this situation. The thing I'd like to highlight that I'm hearing is. It is possible to, like, you don't have to believe everybody that says it has to be 24 hours turnaround. That, right? No. Uh, I wouldn't do this if it did. Because <laughs> I know I was talking to some people at PodFest that were looking for 24 hours turnaround, and that was their business model. Like, they do this for others. And I was like, what kind of quality can you get with 24 hours? Well, and now I've listened to their sh- And what kind of life can you have? Well, like, yeah, it's, it's both, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. Like the quality of the product and yeah. that. Sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I won't even let someone schedule a call with me within 24 hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because like I want to have full control over my schedule. That's why I went into business for myself. That's one of the main reasons. <laughs> uh, so I don't want to wake up in the morning and all of a sudden I now have an unexpected call on my schedule for the afternoon. So mm-hmm. yeah, I can't, I can't do those quick turnaround times. That was a quick lesson whenever I started like having like software to like scheduling. So I can go to my website, schedule a call. A quick lesson was enough buffer so that they can't do these real short kind of turnarounds. Yeah. Like, I'm not mentally prepared to talk to you right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, I mean, I, I have 
to like do my hair. I have to maybe do a little bit of makeup. Like I need time to prepare for these things. Mm-hmm. I, I do too. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You spend way too much time on your hair, Brian. <laughs> I do. If we're ever late, it's because Brian is doing his hair. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much Noted. it. So for those that are listening and have never seen me, uh, they're totally making fun of the bald guy right now. So, <laughs> but I kind of set that up. Yeah. Quick question about how you do billing. So I think you mentioned that you bill per episode. Is that for all your clients or are you mm. going to, do you have any kind of monthly ones? So that way, even if they miss an episode or you, you know, you're skipping a week, you're not hit by it. I don't, unfortunately. And I wish I would have like, that's the biggest like regret with my business is that I didn't set it up that way from the start. So I am per episode. I do. I bill on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so like on the first of the month, I bill for all the work completed the month prior. Yes. But I don't have any like flat rate people. And I really wish that I did. I tried last summer. I tried to switch all of my people like over to that. I offered it as an option, even offered like a special discount for a while. You know, like that extra fifth episode on occasional months, they'd get that for free, like just to make it easier. And not a single client went for it. Mm. <laughs> so mm. what about new clients? Is that something I thought about it? But honestly, because I have so much trouble keeping a VA like changing and doing like different styles and types of billing for different clients, like mm-hmm. would just be a nightmare. And I kind of just don't want to mess with it. Um, And now, honestly, like I don't take on that many new editing clients. Yeah. Because like a lot of my clients I've been working with for two years, three years. Like, so I don't have a lot of turnover with my clients and I, I tend to cap myself. I don't take on everyone who comes along. So, I mean, yeah, I only take on like one or two new editing clients a year at this point because that's, kind of what I have room for and what I want um, because I don't want to get into like the agency type thing where I'm outsourcing to a lot of people. I have one editor right now, Alexandra Stennett. She's amazing. Oh. Um, and I outsource to her. She and I have been working together for like two years. And so, yeah, I don't want to get like too, too crazy. Mm-hmm. So Carrie said, what's my max client load? I try to keep it at like no more than 10. Oh, wow. Because I don't want to have to like be constantly managing relationships and like checking with files, uh, like, you know, making sure I have everything I need. So I try to cap it at like 10 at any given time. And then I bring on kind of an unlimited number of my launch clients. Yeah, I was about to get into that. You do a lot of launches as well that aren't ongoing. They're more one and dones. Right. Yeah. We work together for about three months at a time to get it done. And then and then we move on. Now, I will occasionally bring on one of them if there's somebody that I just like really, really, really enjoyed working with. I love their show. They're willing to pay the rate that I tell them I want to be paid, um, which I increase every time. I will sometimes bring them on. They're usually the people I add um, into my list, like my roster or whatever. But yeah, I don't I don't really have a cap on how many of those I work with. So what does your launch package look like? If someone wanted to start a podcast, what does that look like? So we we start with like an initial strategy session, uh, which is usually like an hour. We go through the whole process, all the nuts and bolts. And then I actually use a sauna Uh, which is like a task management program. And I break it down for them with every single individual task so that they don't have to feel like Hmm. overwhelmed by the 30,000 foot view of everything it takes to launch a podcast. They can just take it one task at a time. I set the deadlines for them based on whatever their, you know, target launch date is so that they know exactly like what order to work in, what needs to be done by when. They have all of their resources right there together for each task. Um, And then, yeah, we just we just go as quickly as they can. So I usually aim for about two months, but my service agreement is for three. That way, in case they need to take a little bit extra time, they can. Do you help them with editing in that or is it just all processes? Only their episode zero. Um, Well, and their intro and outro. So I create their intro and outro for them, but they have to provide me with the music because they have to own the rights to it. 
And then I create the intro and outro and then their episode zero and we submit with that. And then if they're going to have if they're going to do the editing themselves, I'll kind of give them like a quick and dirty lesson on how to do that in Audacity. If they're going to work with another editor, um, I usually help them find one and coordinate with that editor to get them going. Um, And then if they're going to hire me, then, yeah, I do it from that point on. But do you use the same level of rigor to screen your launch clients that you would screen a long term editing client? Yes. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of work up front. Is that an accurate assessment? Um, Not necessarily because I've done it to the point now where like I can trust my gut. Like I know if this person is going to be high maintenance. I know if they're going to be really fun to work with. I know if they're going to be able to handle all the tasks and the technology. Um, I can tell now at that point just from like our initial 30 minute call, like exactly how it's going to go. I wish you, I had your skills in that. I just, <laughs> Transparent right here. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had your skills in that. <laughs> Carrie was wondering what factors go into the rate for people that want to get into this. I'm assuming that's the factors that go into the rate that you would charge. For people, like for anybody who's like a, wanting to be a new editor, what do I? I'm, I'm assuming that. It was Carrie's question. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. I started out low like everybody else. <laughs> Thanks, Carrie. Um, I started out super low like everybody else. Like I was charging like 60 bucks an episode and basically didn't put any stipulations on like what that meant and learned those lessons again. And so now I honestly, I don't actually like sit down. I'm at the point now where like my rate is high enough that it like more than covers my overhead, covers my monthly bills. Like, so that's not, I don't have to factor that in anymore. Now it's just kind of like what feels good to me. Like, what am I proud of? What um, does my gut say I should charge in this instance? And I do increase my rate with every new, every new person. So basically every time I get a yes, the next person, their rate's going to be higher. And I just keep doing that until everyone says no. And that hasn't happened yet. So are you ever tempted to back down from that and say, well, I guess I'll just give it to him at the same rate as the last person? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like some imposter syndrome that comes in here, especially like with my my launch clients. I wouldn't pay somebody like what I charge to like help me. But that's because like I'm the type of person I can I can DIY it like I can figure it out myself. Um, So I don't have the same pain points that my clients do. Mm-hmm. I can understand what their pain points are because I have to in order to market to them. Um, because I have to tell them their pain points because they sometimes don't even know. For me personally, like it definitely comes into play. Like, and when I launch my group launch program that's going to happen September first, I'm doubling my one-on-one rates, and like that's a scary thought for me. But I'm going to do it, and we're going to see how it goes. So even if it does like intimidate me or I'm tempted to back down, I just don't because the worst that could happen is they say no, and then I'm in the exact same place that I am right now. Wow, <laughs> so many questions are popping up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so you mentioned not wanting to take on too many long-term editing clients because you don't want to have like work on the relationship with too many people. Right. What do you do to kind of foster that relationship with your current ongoing clients? So in that instance, it's honestly with some people I have, like we, they send me their files. I tell them their episode's done. And like, that's about it as far as communication goes, because it's just their style. They're super busy. But with some other people, if there's something in their episode that like really stood out to me or that resonated, like I'll actually tell them that Um, because then that lets them know that like I'm paying attention to it as a listener and not just the person they're paying to edit it. Um, And so like if there's a lesson that I like really found valuable, I took away from it, I implemented in my own business or my own life, I'll share those things. And that kind of opens up more of a personal side 
to the relationship than just like strictly professional. Now, I don't want to get too chummy because then that's when those boundaries get really easy mm. to to blur Yeah, because they feel like you're more their friend. And so they think they can get away with some stuff. But I do want somebody who feels comfortable like sending me a GIF in response to an email. Um, You know, like it's fun and that's what I want. So, yeah, I think just like adding in those little personal touches. But when I go on like these long trips, because I mean, I travel for months at a time and I explain that to them and they know like how important it is to me that this is my absolute passion in life, which helps, honestly, because like they know how important this is to me. This is the why behind my whole business. So like they're more willing to help me in terms of like getting me the work I need ahead of time so that I don't have to work as much. Like right now, I was only able to give my clients like two or three weeks notice for this trip. And I normally try to give them like two months so that they can work ahead. And even then, I was like, I don't expect you to get me anything in advance. If you could, that would be amazing. But please don't think that you have to. And like every single one of my clients are busting their butt and like bending over backwards to try and get me things in advance because we have that connection mm-hmm. um, other than just like, I need this stuff by this, you know, by this date. And all of that goes back to your communication and attracting the kind of clients that have that right. passion, have that value in their lives, can understand that traveling is that passion for you and respect that. Yeah. I mean, some of my own clients, like it's their passion Mm -hmm. too. Like it's their why. Like one of my clients, one of the main reasons that like she ended up hiring me is because when we had our initial consult, she was in Bali working out of the same co-working space I worked out of when I was there. And I knew that. And like we could talk about that. And I was like, oh my God, aren't there smoothies? They're amazing. And she was like, yes. Oh my God, they're so good. And so like we had that connection. And so now when she's traveling, like I know to help her out and vice versa. I do quarterly calls with my clients because I want to be more than just the ghost on the other end of an email chain. Yeah. So that way, whenever, like if I make a mistake or something happens, there is more than just like that whole kind of relationship. Smart. So it may be a little more forgiving. And just like the thought of switching to a different editor is a very foreign concept and kind of painful. Cause I want to be almost indisposable in their podcast, not in a way that they can't function without me. I don't want to like own their own everything. But just so that way, like the thought of like going to somebody else, it's just scary. And they do having to start over. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, you don't know that other person. Totally. It makes sense. Yeah. I'd like to ask this from the perspective of the person who has a full time job and is editing on the side, which I think is where both Jennifer and I fall right now. Uh, do you have any tips for how to do that kind of thing efficiently? Like actually do it, actually care, not just a thing you check off, but also it takes time, right? <laughs> Yeah. So I, I got super lucky and I only had to do that for about two months because we ended up selling our house and we like made enough money off of it that we could travel for a little while. And actually I shut down my whole business when I did that and started from scratch when we settled back down. So I mean, I I may not be the best person to ask about (laughs) this, but (laughs) honestly, I think that's where it comes down to working on shows that you actually genuinely care about and not even just the people, but like the actual content, like if I worked, you know, a full day at work and had to come home and listen to, you know, edit a topic on something that I literally could not care less about, that would be so hard. But if it was a topic that I actually was passionate about, it would almost be like I'm just listening to another show that I enjoy listening to. Just don't forget to edit the show. I do that. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, I think that would probably be the the biggest way for me personally to like get through it. So you mentioned whenever you get to a point where like, you can't work with a client. You work with their, like if they hire somebody new, you work with your client during that transition. Can you talk a little bit about how you kind of facilitate that? Yeah. So unless they are super toxic. So like with that very first one I mentioned, and then there's been one other one that was actually even worse than her. Um, Jeez. (laughs) 
Yeah, oh yeah, that one got that one got real bad. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, like there's there's still some lingering drama on that one. So unless it's that bad, then yes, I will usually like try to help them find another editor, or if they have found one on their own, I will offer to like help. I generally give them about a month to like do that transition period, and then it's mostly just like communicating via email, making sure that new editor has everything that they need. So all of the individual like files for the intro, the outro, the transition music, ads, anything like that. If they're open to just like having the Audacity project, I'll send them that so that they can see like the actual layout and structure of an episode and exactly how everything lines up. I'll usually hop on a phone call with them if they want it. Um, some can kind of like just jump in and take right over. But if they want a phone call to run through everything, I'm happy to do that. Um, so really whatever that new editor needs to make sure that they can like get up and going and that it is the least amount of work for the client as possible. I appreciate you sharing how thorough you are in that. I'm wondering, before you get to that point, do you also have a sort of a remedial period or a period where you try to help get this back to where this relationship will work? Yeah. So I'm actually going through that kind of right now. I have a client who she's been struggling with some deadlines. And there was one day where we were late. We, I say me, um, Alexandra helps me on this show right now while I'm going on vacation. She's helping me with it. And we were a day late with our deadline, but that's because she was late. Like we actually were kind of like doing her a solid by getting it still out on time and not pushing it back by a full week. Um, mm -hmm. Like we were doing her a favor and she came back and tried to get a little snippy about it. And I actually like broke it down and basically was like, no, <laughs> that, that, that is not what happened. Like, you know, we received the intro like two days late and you requested timestamps. But when people want changes, like when they want actual like content changes, they have to give mm -hmm. me the start and stop timestamp and the first and last word of the section. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, if you edit, you know, like the timestamps don't always perfectly align um, and they right. could screw up and put a wrong number. And that's what happened in this situation. It was like in the middle of a word, in the middle of a sentence. Mm. And it was her question to the guest. So like it led into the next thing. Like we couldn't take this out. It would not have made any sense. And so she was like late getting back to us with that. And she didn't provide the start stop word. So we didn't know what to cut out. And she tried to say she didn't know that she was supposed to, like, give me the start and stop word. So then I pulled out the little, you know, corporate language of per my, <laughs> you know, May 27th email, <laughs> you know, where I requested that you do this. Like, you know, you know that this is a thing. And so we're kind of in that recovery period now where she got a little bit snippy. I had to kind of set the record straight on some things. And so it wasn't just to outright like, OK, we're done, like, because you have caused me some problems now. And so now it's a matter of she came back with, you know, I'm really sorry. Like, what can we do to prepare this to make sure everything runs smoothly? We get you what you need. So the next step is going to be her and I hopping on a phone call with her assistant to actually like break down and come up with a checklist so that they know exactly what they need to do. And then if it continues to be a problem, then I'll move on. Wow. Daniel, looked like you had a, something to ask. So you had mentioned that when you started out, you know, you sold your house, you traveled, and then you said you shut down your business and restarted. Can we talk about that? I did. I did. Yep. So that was when I had three clients at the time. I had my very first one who I adored, the toxic one. And then I had another one who mm -hmm. she wasn't good. She wasn't bad. Um, we just didn't quite click. So when we traveled, we were actually in our RV and we were traveling around national parks in the US. Oh. And so obviously there's no Wi-Fi in the national parks. And I thought I could do everything like out of, you know, Starbucks and whatever. <laughs> and no, you can't really do that. Um, and so I quickly realized after like a month on the road, like this is just not going to work. And I wasn't super 
in love with any of the people I was working with anyways. So I literally just like shut it all down, told them I was I was, you know, no longer going to be their editor. And then we settled down a couple months later and I I didn't really the one client that I did enjoy. She had pod faded at that point, mm-hmm. like without my help, like she just didn't stick with it. Um, and I certainly wasn't going back to the other two. And so I just started from scratch with with zero clients and built it up from there. So that was September of 2016. Wow. So one of the questions we like to ask on this show is how you found your first client. <laughs> so I guess I want to ask you this twice. Uh, how'd you find your first, first client? <laughs> and then when you started over again, was it harder to find the second, first client? No, actually, I found them both the same way. So the very first client, I started my whole podcast journey by going through Podcasters Paradise. I went through that program. John Lee Dumas says, it is what it is. And (laughs) I I make no secret. I am not a huge fan of that program. But I credit it like I never would have started my podcast without it. So like I am very, very grateful for what it was then. But in the beginning that came with you automatically got put into a mastermind with three other people, just kind of like chosen at random. And one of the women in that group ended up being my first client. And then when I restarted everything over again later that same year, it was the client I've been mentioning from the beginning that I still work with now. She is also a member of Podcasters Paradise. And she found like the course wasn't working for her. She didn't want to go through it herself. She wanted somebody to help her. Um, And so she just like put out a post in the group, like asking if there was anybody that helped launch shows. And I was like, I think I could do that. So I just commented and I was like, I've never done this before, but if you're willing, like we can go through this together. And she was like, yeah, sure. So I charged her $300 and we launched her show and she's still an editing client today. So, and I now charge quite a bit more. So podcast networking. Yeah. I mean, that's how I built my whole business at the beginning was Facebook groups. I mean, that was literally it. Of course, there was, you know, 10 comments on a post looking for an editor and instead of 50, like there are now, even still you could weed out. 75% of those because they're terrible comments. Um, (laughs) You can you can make yourself stand out in those and and actually get the job because like I still even like, well, I mean, I haven't looked for new clients since spring, I think was the last time I like actually commented on one of those posts. And I still get it, even though I know I charge way more than those other people. But it's because I approach this as a business. I am very serious about it. And even in those comments, like where somebody says, I need an editor, I then will go to their profile, look for something personal. It's exactly that one with the one in Bali. That's how I found out she was there is because she had posted about it on Facebook. And so in my comment back to her, I was like, oh, hey, I happened to notice you were in Changu. And, uh, you know, have you ever worked out of this co-working space? And like immediately out of the however many comments she had, like I was the top one. So don't discount those Facebook groups, even though there are a ton of competition now, you can absolutely still stand out from everybody else. <laughs> so how do you do that? I mean, is it just the personal touch is what makes a difference? So it's personal touch and don't make them do any more work. (laughs) Like they're trying to find an editor because they feel stressed. They feel overwhelmed. They just want somebody to like take some stuff off their plate. So if you tell them, email me, like you have literally just created more work for them. You have not made their life easier in any shape, way or form. You're putting the onus on them to now take the task of going into their email, composing an email and sending it. So instead, have a scheduler like there are free ones. There's no reason not to do this. Have a website where they can take a look at some basic things. It doesn't have to be super fancy, but just enough to show that like you're a legitimate business. And then in that comment, say, if you want to have I always say like the language I use is if you want to have a no pressure chat, use this link to pick a time that works best for you. 
And then nine times out of 10, I will get somebody who schedules a consult with me. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Because I've just made their life so much easier. Like they don't have to do anything else. They just click a button and pick a time. Like they don't have to follow up with me. I've, I've done it all for them. And that's literally exactly what they're looking for is somebody to make their life easier. And running that down too. So do you have an intake <laughs> form on that then? Like for some data gathering or do you, is it just I name do. and time? Okay. Nope. So on my intake form, um, because I need I need to make sure that they qualify as like a coach or consultant. So I ask them, are they a coach or consultant? I ask for their web their website address because I want to make sure that they're an established business. Because usually if they've been in business, like if they're brand new, if they're launching, they're probably not going to be able to afford my rates. There are exceptions to that. So I will still take the call. But usually if they've been in business like one to three years, that's about when they're starting to think about like investing more money into their business and hiring somebody who knows what they're doing. And so I want to make sure that I've got those bases down. And then I ask them like what services they're looking for and then how they heard about me. So if it's a Facebook group, I want to know that. If it's a Google search, I want to know that. If it's somebody who referred them, I ask for the name just so I know where these leads are coming in from. Wow. Great, great stuff. Uh, Before we bring it to a close, Jennifer or Daniel, did you guys have any other questions? Carrie has another question. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So Brittany, do you only take new coaching clients? So I do. I will take new coaches if they have a pretty clear understanding of what they're going to be doing. Because the whole point of like working with me over another editor or another launch consultant is that I come at it from a perspective of using the podcast as a tool to grow their business. Mm -hmm. So like if they don't have something to sell, if they have no idea who their audience is going to be, they have no idea who their ideal client is, they don't have any of that stuff worked out, then there are going to be much cheaper options for them. But I mean, part of what makes my rate higher is that I come at it from that specialized view or whatever and with that specialized expertise. So I will take them on if they have already done a lot of the good legwork for their business. Podcasting is a great marketing tool, but it's not necessarily the best thing you can do at the beginning to kind of grow and find new work, whatever, depending like, you know, the clients. Yeah. I tell all of my client, like all of my potential clients on that um, initial discovery call, it's Mm -hmm. a long-term investment plan to do your podcast for at least a year before you start seeing any real ROI from it. So that we go into it with clear expectations of what it is. So if it's a new company, if it's a new coach, they probably need something that's going to bring money in a lot faster Mm -hmm. than a podcast will. Before we draw this to a close, we should probably mention, because I forgot at the beginning, Carrie from yayapodcasting.com is the the master of the chat tonight. She's been moderating the chat and also with some (laughs) comments. So Carrie, apologies for not introducing you earlier, but thank you for doing what you do. Every week we have somebody do that. And typically every week, we also have a guest like Brittany, often as a podcast editor or something like that. Jennifer, would you like to tell people what they need to do to be a guest? They need to go to podcasteditorsmastermind.com. Carrie is awesomely bad at this. (laughs) 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 Sorry for those of you listening who can't see our screen. Be sure to tune in every other Thursday at 10.05 Eastern on Facebook and find us so you can get in on all these random giggles that that you're missing out on. But if you want to be a guest, you can go to podcasteditorsmastermind.com and fill out the form on the website. And Daniel, we have a an editor lined up to be the next guest. Is that right? Yeah. So if you're listening to this after the fact on the podcast itself, uh, this episode will be edited by Heather Wester of Ironed Out Media. Wow. So thank you so much, Heather. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Heather. Cool. Well, Brittany, you can go ahead and let everybody know where to connect with you, and then we'll draw it to a close. So I'm Brian Itzminger at TopTierAudio.com. 
I'm Jennifer Longworth, bourbonbarrelpodcasting.com. I'm Daniel Abendroth of brothmedia.audio. And I am Brittany Felix with Podcasting for Coaches, and I am literally podcasting for coaches everywhere you can possibly exist. <laughs> nice. For those of you that joined us in the chat, thanks so much. For those that are listening later, we're glad that you were here. And Brittany, huge thank you to you. Really appreciated having you on here and really great stuff. So thank you very much. Thank you.